contrary to popular belief, I'm not as old as Frank. <laughs> but I do like your face, Frank. That's where Todd and I separate. <laughs> One nice thing about getting older is that when I lose my place, it's um, more forgiven. And when I just kind of ramble off in some tangent, people go, oh, it's just because he's old. As I look out this morning and I see more people than we've had in the building in over six months, probably seven months, I have this bittersweet feeling. It's sweet because it's good to see your faces. It's so much better to have people in front of me when I'm speaking. But it's bitter because so many chairs are empty. And even if we were at full capacity this morning, so many chairs would be empty. And there are times I actually get a sense of what the exiles felt when they returned to Jerusalem. And how there would have been great joy to be back in the promised land after 70 years of captivity. And at the same time, that sense of loss, because what was will be no more. And the the hard work of rebuilding is just beginning. And in many ways, those of you who have made the decision to come in this morning, those of you who are still watching online, are part of that early return. And you're part of the group that are going to have the joy and the struggle of putting this all back together. We've had more rough news this year, or this week, sorry, with, with this brutal attack on the, the Afzal family. And I'm just reminded again of just how much fear has permeated our society. And that that fear comes out so often in the form of hate, but its root goes deep, deep, deep into our inner being. And it comes to us through politics, through marketing, through news, and through our popular culture that teaches us again and again and again to be afraid. When I have conversations with many of you, underneath so many of our struggles is that fear that every single one of us is wrestling day in and day out. COVID-19 has probably brought us to this place of feeling that fear in a very real and distinct way. You see, what fear does to us in our moral lives is it deforms us. And it reforms our character and it reforms our judgment of all the things around us. Scott Bader Say says it this way, following Jesus will mean surrendering the power that masquerades as security in order to love the neighbor and welcome the stranger. It will mean avoiding the safe path in order to pursue the good. But in a culture of fear, we find such risks all the more difficult since our natural inclinations lead us to close in on ourselves when we face danger. 
How can we maintain the posture of an open hand toward the world that scares us? Do you hear that question? How can we maintain the posture of an open hand toward a world that scares us? Masks, social distancing, isolation, 15 months in today. How do we keep this open posture toward a world that needs us to be available to them when they have pulled back? Bader say, I think, brings us to four really important points. He talks about our surrendering. Where do we find our security? What are we going to need to give up? He talks about loving our neighbor. He talks about being open to risk. And he's calling our attention to actually consider the world and its needs. In so many ways, really what we're talking about here is the need for prayer. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount over the last couple of months. And today we're going to loop back and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And I think really what the Sermon on the Mount for me is so present, is so important, is because he was speaking to a people riddled with fear. They were afraid of the Roman occupation. They were afraid of the religious authorities. They were afraid of their God and making a mistake. And in rolls Christ. And he takes all of this and he turns it upside down. And the thing that he is turning upside down most is our, our, our proclivity to be afraid. And when I look at the Lord's Prayer, I see in it this this turning of myself toward God and opening myself up to others in a way where I actually can say, Lord, I'm going to live in a way where my fear is pressed down and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to pursue with all that I am everything you've called me to be. Jesus says it this way, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating the words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. So the setting is He was talking about almsgiving. He was talking about prayer. He was talking about fasting. And He says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give... Don't do it as the Gentiles do. Don't do it as the Pharisees do. Don't do it to seek the approval of others, but do it only before God. And then right in the middle of that, he stops and he says, this is how you pray. And really what he's saying, and and, and in English it doesn't actually show up. When you look at the Greek, it's slightly different. Where he's not actually saying when you're praying. He's saying, in your praying. So he's calling our attention. And he wants us to petition the Father. This is not about manipulating or cajoling God into doing something. But it's about informing God of something he already knows. 
It's entering into the very mission of our Father who loves us and invites us into His presence with our petitions. But we don't go before an obtuse God that's distant from us and doesn't care. We go before a God that already knows our struggles, already knows our fears, already knows our brokenness, and says, come anyways, I want to talk with you. When I'm at my most fearful, it's often when I am the least likely to pray. But Jesus says, our Father. And he's inviting us into this world. And he says, come before our Lord. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And at that moment, we can't help but say, this is something different. You see, the Lord's Prayer calls us to pay attention to these two distinct points of focus. Turn our attention towards God. Express our love for Him. But also turn that love outward towards other. Our Father. Not my Father. Not your Father. Our collective Father. Community in the very prayer we preach making the petitions before God on behalf of our entire community. Bless us. Provide for us. Forgive us. Fearful people don't seek community. They push community away. And Jesus is saying, no, come before God. Give Him your petitions. Put your troubles onto Him. And then do so for your neighbor. And this is where the love of neighbor begins. It begins on our knees before God. It's the vertical and the horizontal of what Jesus calls us to. Love God with everything we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. And it starts with our Father. You see, those who love God know God as Father. But not as an earthly Father. Not as a father who makes mistakes. Not as a father who's prone to sin. Not as a, a father who will make promises and break them and let us down. But as the father who resets what it means to be a father. The one who cares for us in all that we do. Our father. Whose name is hallowed. Which means to honor, sanctify, set apart, to treat with the highest respect. Because those who love God long for God's name to be honored. You see, Jesus isn't actually talking at this point about how we profane God's name. It's not a petition for us to be more obedient or to observe the Torah. It's a petition for God to act in our lives. This is more about our hopes, our desires, our affections, and our aches than it is about what we do. 
This isn't Jesus trying to subversively get us to behave. Jesus is outright saying, take your stuff to God. Because he says the kingdom and will of God will be done. And we're to call that down. But we ask, what kind of kingdom? Because the kingdoms that we know in this world, the power brokers that seek to keep us in fear, those points of strength in our society are not the ones of love from a heavenly father. You see, this is a kingdom marked by new creation, a new kind of power, and a new kind of obedience. It is about healing. And a healing of everything, our sicknesses, our diseases, our disruptions, our relational brokenness. It's a society-shaped, people-shaped kingdom designed and geared for our flourishing. And it's a kingdom that should not be divorced from Christ's church. You see, in Jesus' mind, this kingdom is a society of God's people flourishing in a world under Christ as their king. Can you imagine that? Just stop and take a moment and think about what this world would be like right now if Christ's reign was felt and obeyed by all. Christ as Lord, and with God ruling over the entire world, fundamentally changes our longings. And I think this is a gospel longing. We long for the full story to be complete. It's a longing not just for global or cosmic universal reign of God, but it's a longing for the kingdom to be made present here and now in my life, in my family, in my church, in my job, in my home, in my community, in every place we are, so that we see the light of the future, the freedom, the justice, the peace, the wisdom that God wants us to experience every single day here and now. Can you imagine that? You see, the world is calling us to continue to be afraid. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to courage. He goes on to talk about the bread, the we petitions, and it's this call, this longingness for God to meet our needs for everything that we require to be given to us, our daily bread suggests that we should not worry about tomorrow. It's not about our storing up of things, but trusting God with the day-to-day needs. Now Jesus, I think this is really important for us to remember, is not talking to a group of people that have refrigerators and freezers full of food. He's talking to poor day laborers. He's talking to people who have lost their land. He's talking to people who the threat of starvation is real. But we still, even in our wealthy society, need to have God provide our daily bread. 
we need to trust that what we need today, God will provide. But we don't ask for just ourselves. Every single time there was the scare, there was this rush of toilet paper out the door, and all we saw was blank shelves. That is a society that's built on scarcity, that's afraid of not being able to wipe their bottom. Does that not sound bizarre? And Jesus is saying, don't worry about the toilet paper. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your family. Give it to God because the Father knows your needs and loves you enough and will give you your daily bread. I think we need to remind ourselves to ask God for our daily bread. You see, I think when I take control of my life and go out seeking my daily bread, I can get confused as to what my daily bread should be. But when my daily bread comes from God, I get what I need, not necessarily what I want. Because what I want will often drive me back into isolation, back into scarcity, back into a protective stance that says, this is mine, not yours, back off, the empty shelves are your problem, not mine. But this is not the world that Jesus is calling us to, because the new kingdom, this kingdom that God has brought in Christ here and now, even though it isn't fully with us, shows up in the acts of justice and kindness and mercy that we pour out on our world every day. See, Jesus strikes us in this way, in a weird way. The daily bread. And then he pushes us even further into this idea of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is difficult. It's difficult personally, it's difficult pastorally, and yet Jesus forces us into a reconciliation about forgiveness. And he's demanding that we forgive, even though it is difficult. You see, Jesus is focusing us, and and he's summing up in these two lines, that we're to forgive others, and if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive others us. So this is a prayer request. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. It's an appeal to God for for forgiveness rooted in forgiving others. And it seems backwards. Because it seems like God is making Forgiveness conditional on our forgiving of others. But is this not what Jesus is saying? You see, forgiveness from God and our forgiving to others are tied together by Christ. And this challenges us. You see, we need to hear what Jesus is saying. How he connects the forgiveness of God, and the forgiveness of others. So it's not about our trying to earn forgiveness by going out and forgiving others. What Jesus is saying is that when we are a forgiven people, and we really embrace that, we will become a forgiving people. 
So Jesus is really saying, God has graciously forgiven us of much greater sins than have been sinned against us. Therefore, we are to forgive others and extend that grace that we've received from God to our neighbor. If we don't forgive others, we show that we're not forgiven because forgiven people forgive people. But our forgiveness does not earn God's forgiveness. Now, I'm not naive. I know this is a radical approach. It demonstrates the new creation at work, but this is tough stuff. Because all of us have been hurt, and all of us can think of a face right now, God, don't make me forgive that person. Maybe it's my face. If it is, I am sorry. But you see, this is a demonstration of God's goodness, His graciousness, His love, and His forgiveness. And Jesus is demanding us to be this kind of people because He knows it's not natural. He knows He's got to stick this in our face and hold it up to us and say, be this way. Because my proclivity, my natural tendency is to Say, I don't want to have any part of you. Since the kingdom is a world of reconciliation, kingdom people are to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. It's come up a couple of times during this sermon, and I want to make a quick comment on that now. A few people have asked me, what about situations where it's dangerous? What about situations where that person has hurt me, it's not safe? I think there's a distinct difference between maintaining boundaries and, uttering for, and, and issuing forgiveness. It is one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to let them hurt you again. If they are not contrite, if they have not made the changes, if they have not bowed their knee to God and sought transformation. This isn't an invitation to re-abuse you. But it is still a call to forgive because I have learned this in my own life. When I've been able to forgive the person who has hurt me deeply, I am suddenly no longer trapped in the cage with them. I get to walk free. But I still maintain the boundaries because that's healthy. Jesus then talks about the temptations that come to us. And he asks that we ask our Father not to lead us into temptation. James 1.13 says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone. So what's Jesus saying here? Lead us not into temptation, Father. I think what he's saying is, lead us not into testing. And it's not so much about God's leading us into tempting, temptation or testing, but really asking God to rescue us from those moments of temptation and testing. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 best when he says, the temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out 
so that you can endure. So these petitions really are about longing for something. They're longing for a life that is holy, a life that loves others, a life that is rescued through a trust in Jesus from evil, from temptation, and from the lies of the enemy. And Jesus calls us to pray this prayer and pray it a lot. So how do we live this out? Because we're kind of, Jesus, man, he doesn't follow the seminary rules for sermon preaching where you have nice clean points that run in together. He is madly off in all directions it seems. But he's pulling us to pay attention to our fear. And he's causing us to think prayer. So we surrender our security. We place our devotion onto God and not onto the world. So that our security comes from our Father and not from our jobs. We pray for God to act. We place our concerns on our Father and not burden our spouses. We acknowledge our need. We renounce the lie of self-sufficiency. We renounce the desire to move through this life with as little hassle as possible. We love our neighbors. We pray for their needs as much as we pray for ours. We forgive the hardest of all Christian discipleship. And when possible, we seek reconciliation. Again, not at the expense of safety. We open ourselves up to risk. We acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus in all areas of life. That His is the kingdom and not ours. We ask for His will to be done and accept it when He does just that, even if I don't like it. And we embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel as Jesus has demonstrated. I, I don't like suffering any more than anyone likes suffering. But I have learned that when we're in the midst of those moments, our relationship to Christ becomes so clear and so close. And the fruit of that relationship somehow seems to blossom. I don't want to suffer. But I actually pray that, God, if my suffering will lead others to you, then bring it on. But give me the strength to do it. Turn our faces towards the world. We ask not that we be led into temptation, but we act in love peace, justice, and wisdom wherever God has placed us. And in this, we see the kingdom breaking through into the here and now. Church, COVID has torn at the fabric of our community. Fear is constantly placed in front of us in the midst of the news reports, in all of the stories, in all of the doubt that's seated 
And I'm not suggesting that isolation or masks or vaccines or rules aren't important. I am not a conspiracy theorist, but I am not afraid. Isolation, social distancing, economic upheaval, disagreements amongst ourselves about what is right and what is wrong, it's tearing us apart. And it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with the decisions. What matters is that we can agree or disagree in love. And spend any time on social media, you'll see very clearly that is not the way of the world. So I think there's an invitation to pray for our community. If you are, keep going. If you're not, oh, I invite you to join. Because our community needs your prayer. I think it's an invitation to return to community. If you have, invite others. If you haven't, know that you are welcome back. And I think it's an invitation as community to turn our faces back to the world, a world in need of hope. If you are, keep going. If you're not, welcome to join us. In all of this, I want you to hear me clearly. I do not want you to feel pressure. There is no shame in any of the decisions that you're making. If you're not ready to come back, don't. But you are welcome and I want you to feel that. Because above it all, I think this. We're stronger together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of community. Lord, thank you that your son presses us to forgive, presses us to reach out to you, presses us to hold up our brothers and sisters, to ask for the needs of others as we ask for ourselves. Lord, in a world that is all about scarcity, all about hoarding, all about looking after me. May this be a community that is able to look at the we. For all of the ways I see that day in and day out, I give you praise. Lord, thank you for the, just the goodness and generosity of this church. Lord, I ask that you would call us deeper to you and that you would give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and the ability to go even deeper. May we be a church known in this community more than we are today as ones who are gracious, generous, loving, and wise. Lord, as the trust for institutions continues to decline in our world, may we stand out as one to be trusted. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.